If you want it, you will find time in your life to do it. If you don't want it, you will continue to do exactly what you're doing now is give me excuses. You're gonna make up every excuse on why you can't do it, and that's why I can't connect with you. And that's why you hear the passion come out of me, and you mm -hmm. wanna say it's anger? No, because I know it can be done. And you're telling me all this shit on why it can't be done. And then what you do is, he's crazy, he's in a cat. No, you don't want it bad enough. If you want it bad enough, you will figure out how to make this shit happen. That's David Goggins, and this is The Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Greetings, everybody. Happy New Year. My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host. Welcome or welcome back to the show where I get intimate and go long form with some of the world's most intriguing thought leaders, high performers, and positive change makers all across the globe. These are conversations designed to help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. So thank you for stopping by today. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you subscribing to the show on iTunes and for sharing it with your friends and on social media and all that good stuff. And I'm super duper excited about today's episode. I honestly cannot think of anyone else on planet Earth better suited to help you kick off the new year right than today's guest. Uh, David Goggins is somebody I've wanted to get on from the very first day that I started this show, mainly because he's had a tremendous impact on me and my life personally. In many ways, it was his example that inspired me to enter the world of ultra endurance. And, and really, quite honestly, I'm really not sure that I would have ever achieved the things that I have achieved as an athlete had he not lit the path. Uh, so let's break it down. For the uninitiated, David Goggins is often referred to as the toughest human on planet Earth. Here's why. First of all, he is the only member of the U.S. Armed Forces to complete SEAL training, U.S. Army Ranger School, and Air Force Tactical Air Controller training. So <laughs> unbelievable, right? So there's that. But he is perhaps best known for his superhuman feats of strength and ultra endurance. And this is a journey that began after several of his friends died in Afghanistan in a 2005 helicopter crash. David decided that he wanted to honor their memory by tackling the 10 most difficult endurance challenges on the planet. And he wanted to do this as a way of raising funds and raising awareness for the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, which gives college scholarships and grants to the children of fallen special ops soldiers. Uh, and hence began quite a storied athletic career. Some of the highlights of David's accomplishments include a world record in 2013 for the most pull-ups in a 24-hour period. He did 4,025 pull-ups in 24 hours. Uh, he has multiple top finishes at the Badwater 135, which is a 135-mile ultramarathon across Death Valley, widely considered to be the world's most difficult foot race. He has a third-place finish at the Double Ironman Distance Ultraman World Championships, which is a race that I've been privileged to compete in a couple times. Uh, and then there is the 203.5 miles that he ran in the 48-hour National Championship Endurance Foot Race, beating previous records by 20 miles and earning a spot among the top 20 ultramarathoners in the world. If that's not impressive enough, he did this shortly before he was diagnosed with a hole in his heart, a condition that had him competing basically on only a fraction of his ability had his heart been properly functioning. So just think about that for a minute. And on top of this, he's got dozens of other ultras 
under his belt and a slew of other impressive results in such daunting events as the Leadville 100, the Hard Rock 100, and on and on and on. So these results are, of course, incredibly impressive, but perhaps David's greatest accomplishment was that he had to overcome a battery of almost insurmountable obstacles faced throughout his life to become the man he is today. Uh, Things like asthma, sickle cell anemia, psychological and physical abuse in childhood, obesity, academic struggles, and even this congenital heart defect that I just mentioned. Uh, There is so much to David's story beyond the foregoing. It's just a remarkable and incredibly inspiring uh, tale. And there are a couple more things I want to say about him before we launch into the conversation. But first... We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, 
and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. All right. So if you listen to my podcast with Jesse Itzler, he's the author of the book Living with the Seal. That was RRP 197. Then you already have some familiarity with today's guest because David Goggins was the seal that moved in with Jesse to shake his life up a bit. So if you missed that conversation with Jesse, I would definitely go back and listen to that. It's really fun and engaging. But with respect to David Goggins, uh, suffice it to say that I think he's really one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. He again, is somebody who has had a profound impact on me personally. And I can promise you that you will be profoundly impacted by this conversation. It's a conversation that'll leave you rethinking your goals, reassessing your priorities, questioning your limits, and really pondering your purpose. It's a conversation about the limiting beliefs we impose upon ourselves that hold us back. It's about the importance of mindset. And ultimately, it's about what it means to be truly alive. So welcome to 2017, people. I can think of no better guest to usher in the new year than David Goggins. So without further ado, enjoy. Ready, man. Let's do this. All right. So I'm driving down uh, Sunset Boulevard a couple days ago, and I don't come into town that much. I live way out in Malibu Canyon, so it's just weird for me to be like in this part of town anyway. And my wife and I are going to this event, and she goes, check that dude out. Who is that guy? You know, this guy's running. I go, that's Goggins. What the hell is he doing here? It was like the weirdest, like juxtaposition. Like I just wouldn't, like, I just wouldn't put those two things together. Like it just seemed weird. And I was like, ah, oh. and it just reminded me. So I sent you a note because we were trying to hook this up. So. Right. Well, I'm glad it worked out, man. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for getting back to me. And before we even, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but before we even like get into any of it, I just want to say like on the record, I'm sure you don't know this, but but uh, you are you you have been like integral in my story behind the scenes. Like I read about you and Badwater and Ultraman back in you know it must have been uh, early two thousand seven, right? And that's really what inspired me to begin training for Ultraman. And I've gone on and competed in that race a couple of times. Wow, and, that's amazing! And that experience changed my life. You know, it changed it changed everything about how I live and what I do. Wow! And the initial spark was really reading. I think it was Competitor Magazine, uh, the article, not just about like the hundred miler that you needed to put in to qualify for bad water and then like <laughs> doing bad water on broken feet, and then and then like three months later doing Ultraman on like a borrowed bike that you had to tape your feet to the pedals. <laughs> and I was like, who is this dude? And the fact that you had never been a triathlete or, right. you know, it's like, cause I was coming off of being a 50 pound overweight, like couch potato dude. And I was like, look what this guy did. That's amazing. Like if he can do that, like, let me reach a little bit. You know, in right. 2008, I did my first Ultraman, did it 2009, 2011, wow. gone on to do some other things. Uh, well, congratulations, but, man. That's yeah, awesome. but I mean, thank you for thank you for shining a light. You know what I mean? And it, it's an honor and it's a privilege to finally get a chance to sit down and talk to you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. And uh, I saw, we, we met briefly uh, 
at Badwater 2013, I was crewing for Dean. Okay. And we, I don't know if you, how much you remember, oh. but like we, it was cat and mouse with you. Was it Ferg Hawk? Who Ferg was, Hawk yeah, was crewing. Ferg me. was crewing for you, and we yeah. were kind of in the same vicinity for a large part of that right, experience. I was, that was a horrible experience. <laughs> I know you didn't look like you were having fun. I was, I was really sick. <laughs> mm, yeah, but good to go. Cool. So, what brings you to Los Angeles? You know what? I retired from the military, and um, just different meetings with different companies as far as like possible TV shows. Who was mm-hmm. this? Who's this crazy nut guy out here? Going Hollywood. You know what? Not too hard. Uh (laughs) Not too hard. So we'll just see what happens out here. Right. How's it? So some projects in the mix and development or just meeting with people in general about the idea of it? Yeah, just meeting with people, Uh you know, just about the idea of, you know, who I am and what I could possibly bring to whatever's going on out here. Right. So... Was that a reason why it was it was strange because out of the blue you went from being like you know really private dude uh-huh. and suddenly you're just all over social media sharing videos and on right. Instagram like it just ramped up from like zero to sixty which is your style of course right. but like was that part of the calculus like okay I'm not in the military anymore like I got to find a way to like you, sort of spread my message now you know I'm actually glad you said that um, I'm a I live like a monk. And that's how I still want to live is like a monk. Mm-hmm. But in, people may say, wait, like one thing about me, you're going to realize I shoot straight up how it is. I'm a straight shooter. Uh, basically, I don't like doing it. I don't like social media. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. I can't stand being out here, all this stuff. But I have a story to tell. And the only way you can tell your story is through social media platforms and through mm-hmm. all these different platforms. And that's that's why I'm doing it, right? So because I, I, I that's I what I thought. It. I was like, this is not doesn't seem character no. consistent, but I get it, and because the message is powerful, and right. it's like you know, so it sounds like you got a little help, like getting you all configured on all that kind of stuff. Right, a lot of people have yeah. come out to uh, help out, and it's all about getting the message out there, man. Right, and and the message is strong, and I I'm glad that you're doing it. You know what I mean? It's it's not that social media itself is bad. It's just what is your relationship to it? And right. if you can just maintain your integrity and your values and live the life that the way that you want to live and it doesn't interfere with that, right. then it's fine. Well, one thing you'll see, the social media I have up there is not about me. There may be some pictures about me, some, but there are just mm-hmm. quotes about you know videos, just about mindset, about changing how you think about things, about not having the poopy pants mentality, the roll with me mentality. And just to make it clear, it's not about push yourself till you die. Some people have this weird image of David Goggins, and that's what it's about. Right. No, it's about push yourself a lot harder than where you think you can push yourself and stop giving up when you feel a little bit of daggone pain or uh-huh. something's uncomfortable. No, that's what the message is. Not push yourself till you can't live anymore. It's about just push yourself harder than we did yesterday. Right. Believing, uh, you know, believing that you're ca- like what I always say is like we're all sitting on top of like huge reservoirs of untapped potential right. that we don't even know are even there. You know that we don't even attempt to tap into. And so if you can just expand your awareness a little bit and understand that all of us, irrespective of circumstance, is capable of whatever of much more than whatever it is that we're doing in the moment. I think that's right. kind of at the core of what you're trying to get. A across. hell of a lot more. A hell of a lot than more. What the forty percent rule. A hell of a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So to put, I want to get into all the mindset stuff, but I think in order to put it all in proper context, it would be good to kind of trace your story a little bit for people that are listening who who don't know who you are. Right. Um, so you know, let's take it back a little bit. I mean, you know, kind of the crux of your story. Uh, sort of begins with 
the kind of lone survivor uh, story, right? Right. Isn't right. that true? Like, tell me what was going on. Well, that's the beginning of my ultra running Yeah, that's what career. I mean, like yeah. that phase. Like. So that phase of my life, basically I was a bigger guy. I had just gone through, I was in three Navy SEAL Hell Weeks. And mm-hmm. so in that, in that period of time, you meet a lot of people. A lot of good men going through that, you know, that many times. Why did you do three times? Well, I happen to be a lucky guy or very unlucky. I call it lucky. Depends how you look at it. Um, So in one year, there happened to be a time frame where the CEO, the commanding officer of Navy SEAL training, he was an old salty guy named Captain Bowen. He was an old Vietnam vet guy. And pretty much wherever you were at in training, in SEAL training, like like I'm going through SEAL training, Mm -hmm. and SEAL training is 26 weeks long. No matter where that's you were buds. at, that's buds. Right. So no matter where you were at, you if you got hurt, or and you couldn't continue on with training, or if you failed something, he believed in keeping you in training, but he would roll you back to day one. Mm-hmm. So generally, if you get hurt in phase two of buds, you get rolled back to day one of phase two. Uh-huh. If you get hurt in phase three, you get rolled back to phase three day one. This guy said, no, 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 we're gonna roll you all the way back to day one, phase, phase one. one. So how I went through three hell weeks was my first time going through, had a hernia issue, double pneumonia, pretty jacked up, got rolled out of that hell week, started day one, next class, went through that full uh-huh. hell week, graduated that hell week. Um, a few weeks after that hell week, I broke my leg, started day one again. But even though you graduated, they made you start again? Yeah, like I said, you uh-huh. started day one. I got you. <laughs> so, and then, you broke your leg because of like just basically stress fractures from going from zero to 60, fractures, right? Having like, a loud, not, yeah. like, like the log land on it, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And um, so basically I got rolled back to day one. But usually nowadays, if you get hurt after hell week, that's where you stay. Right. After hell week. You, you don't have to start from day one. Right. There happened to be a few classes there that I was in that they rolled you back to day one. So I so was in those three classes. So three times the punishment. And then my last pain. hell week, a, a, a guy died. But we, I graduated that last time, 235, class 235, and you know went on to do a few deployments and came home. And mm-hmm. the, the lone survivor story was going on. Marcus Attrell was out there in Operation Red Wings, and I heard about it. I was about 260-some-odd pounds, whatever I was. I don't know the exact weight. I was mm-hmm. much heavier. And I wanted to raise money for families, man. Were you? Didn't you like know his brother? Or you were you did buds with his brother? Or something? I was. In, I actually knew Marcus first because uh-huh. I was in buds with Marcus uh. and Morgan. Because I was there for so that gone long. <laughs> so uh-huh. um, I, I knew them both well. And I was at free fall school with his twin brother, um, Morgan, during mm-hmm. the incident. So during the exact time Mar- Marcus was in the incident, I was at free fall school with his twin brother, and. After we got done with our last jump, we got notified that Marcus was missing and a whole bunch of SEALs and also special ops guys had died. Mm-hmm. So, And so the idea that was sort of sparked inside you was, I wanna honor these guys' deaths and, and try to raise awareness and money for the families of uh, you know of these fallen victims, right? And the right. best way that you came up with to do this was to tackle the 10 most difficult endurance challenges on the planet? Like, where did that idea come into your consciousness? Well, a lot of people don't know my backstory, how I, how I grew up, and I'm, I'm maybe we'll touch our base on it, but I came up pretty rough. You know, I had a very abusive father. I grew up in a small town called, you know, in, in, in Indiana, mm-hmm. that the Klan headquarters was about 20 minutes from where I lived. So wow. um, people talk about being bullied now, like somebody calls you fat, 
and I got called the N word my whole my whole childhood. They sprayed it, you know. They they spray painted on my car. We're gonna kill you. Wow. It was just a rough way to come up. Mm-hmm. And and it, dad not in the picture or dad in the picture so but abusive. I was born and raised. I was born in Buffalo, New York. My dad was actually one of the people that helped Rick James become famous. Oh wow! So and you actually real good friends with O.J. Simpson, and that was the kind of crowd he he came up in. So he was a very abusive guy. Like to the point where, but like a party guy, like a party guy, but also a guy that when he would drink, he would get very abusive. Ah, uh, okay. You know, he would drag my mom down the stairs by her hair when he get in fights, like Ike Turner style. Ike Turner style. Yeah. So he also did the same thing to me, and my brother. Hmm. You know, so yeah, had, old, older brother, or younger older brother. brother. Uh huh. So I had a rough way growing up. Had where, very, where was mom in the whole thing? Mom. So mom was working the the club with my dad, and at when I was eight or nine, we moved to this small town, in Indiana. So to make ends meet, she worked three jobs and also went to school full time. Mm-hmm. So she was never around while I was growing up and my brother stayed with my dad. So I was on my own. Wow. Dealing with this stuff growing up. So from the age of six years old, age of 12 years old, you built self-esteem. I had zero. I was pretty much the weakest kid on the planet. You're just getting like emotionally beat down on a daily basis and then the yeah. physical stuff with your dad. So you got emotional and physical from my dad. And then you leave that when you're eight or nine and you go to this small town in Indiana and you get called the N-word every day of your life. Right. You have the, you know, Grand Wizard son of the clan sit behind you in history class. Oh so it was a good time. Right. So it was, uh, it was a, you know, I had to grow up a lot and, and I had a lot of excuses to not make a damn thing of myself. So. And what was the plan? Obviously. Just at, beyond just surviving that. At, at that time, I didn't go to school. Um, I had, you know, I was... I had ADD. I had tons of learning disabilities because I didn't go to school like like I'm with my father. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very slow in school. So I had to learn all the high school pretty much in six months. I graduated two thirteen out of two fourteen in my graduating class, and I cheated on every daggone test. Right. Cheated on every <laughs> homework assignment, and that's how I got through school. And I had no self esteem whatsoever. I half the time I didn't want to go to school because I didn't want to get called the N word every day, and I hate even saying the N word. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, I want to say the real word. You can say it if you want. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, I hate being called nigger all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to keep it as real as possible. So, but that's what it was. That's and so when does the idea to, to go into the military come in? Like just on, on finishing high school or? So I, as a young kid in high school, I was a part of this program called Civil Air Patrol. It's an auxiliary of the Air Force, like ROTC, like, like junior ROTC. Right, right, right. And I met this guy who had a parachute accident. He was an Air Force Special Operator guy. He had a parachute accident, pretty much died, mm-hmm. and some Navy SEALs. Funny story about that. He taught these two Navy SEALs on how to do tracheotomies. Those two Navy SEALs actually saved his life the next day. So he had a parachute wow. accident. Somebody fell through his parachute when they were in midair. His parachute was wide open. Somebody was still in mid-free fall, went through his parachute, collapsed his parachute, knocked him out. That's what saved his life because he was knocked out, uh-huh. and he fell to the ground. And he actually was, was, you know, hardly able to breathe. These guys traked him open, got a clear airway, got him breathing. He got to the hospital. He died twice on the operating table. They saved his life. It's five years later, I'm 16 years old, 15 years old. I meet this guy at this camp. And long story short, um, I had a one week with this guy along with all these other white kids. I was, I was always uh-huh. the only, only black kid uh-huh. at all these daggone camps. So here I am with this guy, and I hear this story, and it, and I had nothing to, to grasp growing right. up. I had no mentors. I had no motivation. I had nothing. So I held on to that story. 
and he became my real life Rambo. Mm. And I said, that's what I want to be. I want to find that kind of strength because I had none growing up. Right. So basically, I left that camp a week later. And a few months later, you know, this is before Instagram and Twitter and Google and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Face, all this crap. I had a five or $600 phone bill tracking this guy down. So I called. He was an Air Force Special Operator. So I called every Air Force base on the planet uh-huh. trying to call this guy and get a hold of this guy. Is that, is that like the first time that you remember like going after something in your life, like being really focused and, and intentional? About- oh, yeah. I saw. I found hope. I said, oh. Yeah. It's a way out. I, this is a way out, man. I can actually get some self-esteem. I can actually gain some manhood and be able to look at myself in the mirror versus being this coward that the whole world had created. I I let the whole world create who I who I was and how I thought. Mm-hmm. And that was the first mistake I did. But you had this idea inside of you that that you wanted to be a man or your idea of what a man was. Like that was kind of what the quest really well, the, behind, that's kind of behind all this. It is. And, and, and it and it was. Like I saw myself as the weakest human being on the planet. And I wanted to transform that into the hardest man God ever created, Mm -hmm. basically. And he always, what's funny about that, he laid the platform for me. He gave me nothing. But I never said, well, I love God. I'm a a God-fearing man. So my mind was never like, God, why me? Why this? Why that? He laid the platform for me to be exactly who I wanted to be. And you see the mindset switch? Versus me saying, woe is me, they called me nigger, they did this, they beat me up, they put nigger, we're going to kill you on my car, all this stuff. I took all that stuff, and instead of making it, woe is me, man, my life sucks, oh God, why me, why me? I said, oh, the platform is set. You had that awareness then? Or is that, did that come later? When I was about 16, it, it came later once I met this guy and I realized what I wanted to be. And it, that awareness switched, so I changed my thought process versus kicking rocks, poopy pants, the world's against right. me. People are against me. They all suck, and that's why I suck. And I flipped it. I turned it upside down on top of itself. Yeah, and uh, it, it's funny because when you look in the rearview mirror, like the dominoes line up perfectly, perfectly for you to be doing exactly what you're doing. It's almost like there's no other possible narrative for you. They you know built I mean? the warrior mentality. Yeah. So most people who are even hearing this today, as we get talking, a lot of stuff I say, they're going to say, "Man, you must not love yourself. You must not have peace." No, 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 no. What you're going to hear from my voice here soon is passion. Because why? You're going to make me relive my damn story. Yeah. And what you can hear out of me is me going back into hell, becoming the devil to get out of hell. So, so what, is, what is that? Like, like, how do you think about that crucible process? Like, whether it's buds or whether it's bad water, like that idea of, of volunteering for that level of suffering and the experience that you're seeking and what you kind of receive on the back end of that. Like, how do you think about that? So how I think about it is when I made the decision, the conscious decision to become a warrior, I realized that my, that my mentality had to be very different. And what that meant was I had to put myself through a bunch of crucibles to gain the warrior mentality. Some guys are born with it. I believe that. Some guys are born because they have some great childhood and their dad's tough on them and they build this mental toughness and this discipline in this kid. I didn't have this. So I had to design a crucible to put myself through to gain this warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by warrior mentality, which is why some people take what I say so literally and they just say, my God, you're just crazy. You're gone. No. God had to put some people on this planet Earth to do very dangerous things to protect this country. Love it or not, I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. So to have the mentality that I have 
to be in a room that's 10 by 10. I have a weapon. I'm outside a door. I don't know what's behind that door. So our job as a SEAL, most of our time, like most of our job is to go behind, open a door and say, surprise, we're here. Mm -hmm. The thing about the surprise is I don't know what's behind that door. So to have that kind of mindset to say, I'm going to look at AK-47 in the face repeatedly. You know what kind of mind it takes to open that door and not be afraid to shut that door and run away? I was building that callous mind through these things, bad waters, through. So even after I became a SEAL, I was still on the journey to become a better warrior. Right. And these races and all these events, I wasn't about being an ultra runner. I saw, first of all, it was about raising money, but also the selfish side of it all was I was building a warrior mentality by putting myself in the crucible of hell at mile 60 of a 135 mile race in Bedwater. What are you thinking? Blisters, shin splints, stretch fractures, pee and blood maybe. What are you gonna do now, David? How are you gonna get the next 70 miles of this race? Well, that's when you find out who you are. Exactly. You know, it's like everything builds to that moment. It's all about that moment and that decision that you have to make when everything else is stripped away from you. Right. That's gonna reveal to you who you are. Exactly and, who you and are. And what your character is. Right? And, and what's good about that is a lot of people set these great goals like they want to do bad water or they want to do an Ironman or they want to be a millionaire or whatever they want to do. They have these great goal lists and they're, and they're amazing. Goals are important. But what we don't do in life, which is why people quit in SEAL training and they quit in these different things, we don't look at ourselves in the accountability mirror and take care of the number one thing before you start a goal. Let's take care of our insecurities because they're going to surface when you put yourself in the crucible and you're suffering. Mm -hmm. You may be the best physically fit person on the planet. If you haven't handled your mind and handled your jealousies, your insecurities, whatever happened to you as a child and in between, they're going to surface at the time when your mind starts to question, why the hell am I out here in this race? Right, because if you don't know why you're doing it, most people, I, I would venture to say that most people that sign up for these things don't really have a firm grip on why they're doing it. And more often than not, it is fueled by some insecurity or some sort of you know ego issue, right? right? So that when shit goes left, they, there's nothing there. That's you right. know what I mean? They to, can't grab to back the it shit. up to, right? right? Because the priorities are kind of out of whack because there is that disconnect with the real reason or the, 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 the kind of the appropriate um, healthy drive that's to right. get somebody to invest in something like that. healthy drive, because that's, that's true. What, what keeps a person in the fight is knowing, it's having purpose. Having purpose. Leave the ego at the door because the ego will kill you every time. You will always quit. So that's why I was, I've been able to get through things because I know I was a scared, uneducated kid who stuttered and had zero and I had to look at myself in the mirror and hold myself accountable for who I wasn't and who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And and that process didn't didn't happen overnight, <laughs> and it didn't happen through only three buds. I mean, you've no. done tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. You've also done Army Ranger. Are you like? I mean, on Wikipedia it says like you're the only guy in current. Well, not anymore because you retired, but current armed forces who's who's done Rangers. Air Force Special Buds Ops. Buds and Air Force Special yeah, Ops. that's so true. Three. Yeah. Yep. It's very true. That's crazy, man. Yep. There I, should be some kind of insane medal for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's the thing about it, man. Like, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're constantly looking. For me, everybody's journey is different. Everybody's journey is different. I was on a journey to see who David Goggins was. 
And that journey took me in some of the hardest areas a human being can even imagine. And right now at 41, I'm the happiest person on the planet because, you know, I had to climb Mount Everest several times just to look down on my life to see what hell I came from. And that's what kept me going through mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like I, I envisioned myself going through, like when I was a young kid and they called me nigger all the time. I got my dad beat the hell out of me and I was had no self-esteem. I had this vision of if I can make it to where I want to go. Imagine when I look back on my damn life, how proud I will be. And now I'm here. I'm able to look back on this life I lived that many people will never understand because why? When you're passionate, they think you're crazy. And you can't even explain to people why you're doing or why you did what you did because you found your purpose. And once you find your purpose, you can't really explain it to normal people because they don't understand passion because they live everyday life just going, not really finding their purpose. So I become a foreign language to people. They think So they put me in a category of you're just crazy. No, 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 no. I'm passionate. I found my purpose in this life. Yeah, and you're embracing it, you know, right. and you're and you're owning it completely. Right. Right. And that freaks people out. It, right? People aren't used to that. No. You know what I mean? No. There's so much packed into what you just said that I want to kind of, you know, take a look at. I mean, the first thing I want to talk about happiness and your idea of happiness. But but one of the first things you said is, you know, David Goggins, this, like you're referring your, to yourself in third the third person. person. Always. And that's always like a little weird, but I know why you do it. Like you're, there's the difference between kind of, you know, who you are or like the eight-year-old right. David Goggins and this sort of, you know, Superman cape that you put on to become this, this sort of warrior mentality. Well, I had to create Goggins because David Goggins was a weak kid. So I created Goggins. So the crucible of life, that I decided to take to become who I wanted to become, I created Goggins. Goggins is the guy talking right now. David Goggins was a kid that got bullied and all these other things, and I, and I created Goggins. Mm-hmm. I created Goggins Prado. Was that was that like a conscious decision? You're like, this is what I'm doing, or did that kind of you just come into that? Oh, this like sort of come into that awareness, like, oh, this is what I did. I didn't even realize I was doing this. Oh no, it was very conscious. Yeah, it was very conscious. Uh-huh. It was all internal. None of it was external. I don't care about money. I didn't care about awards. I didn't care about medals. I didn't care about bad water. I don't care about ultra running. These were all things for me to build the ex- the, the internal in myself. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, like people don't don't get it twisted, man. This is I did this to be proud of who I am as a human being. And most people live a lie. I hated the lie I lived. And the lie I lived was I was nothing and I knew I was nothing. And my journey, I, I wanted to be something. I wanted to be proud of who I was and it took me in that direction. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really wanna do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called brain.fm, which is this 
sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 
To redeem this offer, that's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. Yeah, I think the thing that's that's sort of cool and unique about the ultra distance world right. is that you know they kind of Mm-mm. these races exist pretty much off the radar. I mean, they're becoming more and more popular now, but right. it's not about like media attention and there's mm-hmm. no prize money. And you know, Ultraman, there's cars driving you know oh, during yeah. the race and like all that kind of thing, right? So the idea is that you're 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 really it's a race, but you're there to challenge yourself. Period. And after at, at the end, when you reach that finish line whether you're a crew member supporting somebody or you're the athlete who's who's taking on this thing for him him or herself that you are transformed somehow right. through the result of you know undergoing that experience right. that's what it's about like that you know? bad war you talk about in 2013 in 13, yeah i walked 105 miles right and i spent 7 hours in the vehicle from having so many issues with my body and everybody goes why didn't you quit man you could have killed yourself it's not about that, man. I'm not out here to kill myself. You know, don't get it twisted, man. It was honestly, at that point, it became a whole new challenge. The challenge is always to do my best. But at that point where I saw my best was done. That best, well, your best on that day, yeah, given that whatever day, circumstances yeah. God gave you that day. It was, yeah. so I, I took what <laughs> God gave me that day and said, well, I had to readjust the goals. And I found happiness and joy and peace. And like, okay, man. We're going to reset this damn boy and we're going to walk 105 miles. Right. And we're going to get to the finish line and you're going to, you're going to walk 105 miles of bad water. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> and that's what happened. Uh-huh. So, so how, how, many, what, how many hours when you were, did you still make it under that 48 hour? I didn't. Th- I, I did? came right behind Dean. Oh, you did? I was like, I think 20 <laughs> minutes behind walking. Dean. Yeah, I came 20 minutes behind <laughs> Dean. It's like 32 hours and some change. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I can't. Dean, right Dean's him. having a hard time too, but but you know, he by no stretch of the imagination did he walk 100. I mean, he was I doing a lot whole, of running. I walked so the whole race. You were walking faster than mm-hmm. I think you think you were then. Um, well, let's let's get into like where this all began. So you have this you have this idea that you want to take on this challenge. Right. Uh, you find out about this race, Badwater, and right. just start naive to this whole world and how it works. Naive so, is an understatement. Yeah, I know. So like, walk me through it. <laughs> so like I said, the whole Lone Survivor thing happened. I wanted to raise money for the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, which is a foundation that gives 100% tuition to fallen Special Operations soldiers' children to go to school 100%. So I found a great foundation and I Googled the 10 hardest races, like you said, mm-hmm. and Badwater was number one. And I thought it was a stage race. I thought the Badwater 135 was a stage race where you would run like 20 miles, pitch a tent or something like that, uh-huh. cook out and go run <laughs> some more miles. I, I didn't know you could run 100 miles at one time or 135 or whatever. I, it's humanly possible to me. I hadn't gone running over a year, hadn't put running shoes on over a year. And you're like 280 at this I was like, point? I think I was about 260-something. I'm yeah. not for sure. I was over 250. I was a big boy. And um, I hated cardiovascular activities. I wanted to hit the weights and eat. That was what I did. But I also wanted to do something that would draw attention to this foundation. So I Googled that race, and I called Chris Kosman up, mm-hmm. the race director of Badwater, and he thought I was nuts. And after he heard my story, he said, yeah, I'm a Navy SEAL. And, I, and he goes, you got qualified. Pretty much Chris Kosman is a stickler for his race. You got to qualify for Badwater. So I called him up on a Wednesday in November of 2005. And that Saturday was this race called the San Diego One Day, where you run 24, you run for 24 hours and run a one-mile track. Mm-hmm. So he said, hey, you got to qualify. And how you qualify is you got to run 100 miles in 24 hours or less. 
there happened to be two races before the deadline of the Badwater application. I think it was like January 19th of 2006 is when the deadline was up. So I call him in November. I, ha- I haven't been training. I have two months to qualify for no. Badwater. And he says, I will consider you in my race if you can run 100 miles 24 hours. So three days later, I find myself in San Diego one day. Uh-huh. And I was married at the time. And my wife, who's now my ex-wife, was out there. And she was crewing me. And I went to Walmart, got a blue lawn chair, Malplex, and Ritz crackers. Right. And that's what the hell I have for no, this race. But no training. Zero. <laughs> and, and people yeah. can think it, it's zero. Right. Zero training. Zero. So here I am now. I'm out here. I'm this big black guy around all these ultra runners who this is the AUA national championships in Uh San Diego and I'm out here running and I get to mile 50 40 50 and I start to break the bones in my feet and they're they're horribly broken stretch fractures shin splints I'm in bad shape and at mile 70 I sit down for the first time I haven't peed or gone to the bathroom at all in over 13 12 13 14 hours I sit down and my blood pressure now is messed up because my potassium, electrolytes, all the things that you need in your body, food, I had nothing. Right. And your ex-wife's a nurse, right? Right. So she's she monitoring you? and She's monitoring me, looking at me like, you know what, man? What you, is the matter with you? You are really yeah. in the dungeon. And I was. It was the worst ship I've been in my entire life. All the things I've been through in my military, this was the worst I ever endured. So I'm all 70. I sit down and I can't get up. Now I have to go to the bathroom because once you sit down, you think it's over. So now right. the pain is really going through my body. And the porta potties. You did from, 70 miles in like 13 hours? Or I something think it was like 12 that? hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, uh-huh. I was actually moving pretty well. <laughs> for, pretty good. For yeah. a pretty big boy. Uh-huh. So I get there and I'm at 70 miles and I have 30 miles to go. So I'm feeling pretty good by myself. But now I'm really messed up. And I sit down and it was the worst thing I did. My yeah, race was you, over. Once you sit down, it was over, man. Over. So I looked at my, ex, at my wife, ex wife now, and I couldn't get out of the chair. So I literally peed blood down my leg and took a crap up my back. And that was a whole new race now. Mm-hmm. And But I figured out a way to make this big ordeal, which was 30 more miles and some of the worst pain I'd gone through. So what got you up out of the chair? Honestly, I create this thing called the cookie jar as I went through my suffering in life to become who I was. And the cookie jar was every time I failed everything so many times in my life. And failure and I would succeed. I would fail and I would succeed. I had to figure out how to succeed through failure. Mm-hmm. And I put a bunch of cookies in the cookie jar. The cookie jars are things when I start to get the woe was me mentality, which we all still get, even though even though you could be very successful. I reach in and I say, oh, this is my childhood. And this is what I did to overcome that. I would remind myself, because so, a lot of times when you're in hell, you forget how great you really are because at that moment, you're suffering. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't think about the great things that you've done. I take time to really calm my brain down when it's stressed out and remember where I came from and say, okay, no, we can do this. Mm-hmm. We can do this through a calm, patient mind, figuring out how to do it. So I figured out how to do it, how to get salt, electrolytes, get some food, get some hydration back in me, get my blood pressure to the point where I can stand up. That right. was the first mission. And you still, you got half a day to get right. 30 miles I have, in, I have, I have 12 hours. Yeah. And we all know we can walk 30 miles in 12 hours. But think about it, my feet were broken pretty badly. Yeah. So, but anyway, I got out of the chair, was able to get up, and I was walking like a 30-some minute mile. And at that pace, I wasn't going to make the time. Mm-hmm. And 
my ex-wife said, hey, you're not going to make the time. And at mile 81, I'll never forget it. This is when I truly realized, and I've been through a lot before this, this is when I realized how far short we have come as human beings by whenever we feel pain and we suffer a little bit, we stop. And I didn't stop, and my brain knew I wasn't going to stop. And I went to a whole other place, because when she said I wasn't going to make the time, at mile 81, I ran the last 19 miles. Right. And that's when, I, at that point in my life, that's when I knew, boy, I really, really need to rethink the capabilities of a human being. It's interesting that that's really your first, like, you know, ultra athletic feat or attempt. And to this day, you know, in the wake of like a resume of doing a million of these things and all kinds of crazy stuff, like <clears throat> that's still, I would have, I would imagine like perhaps the most memorable, most difficult thing you've ever done. Don't right? imagine. Yeah. It's, it's the true. truth. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. By, by far. Yeah. It's amazing. I had to go to places that I, I didn't even know existed within my brain to overcome such suffering. And like, a, what, what do you think, like, what, what is it that you have that other people lack? Like, what is the facility or the the mindset that you're able to get into that allows you to click in and say, I'm going to run this last 19 miles as opposed to what most people would say, which is, I'm done. You know what? It's, there's a lot of answers for that. But once again, it once you find... My purpose was pretty much at that time to raise money for a foundation, but I can't say that that was my only driving force. When you're in that much pain, I'm sorry, you're not thinking about raising money for a foundation. Right. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm human. I had to go dark, and going dark was I had to go to that straight, barbaric, granimal mindset of like, as bad as I was suffering, the suffering, I had to make it work to my advantage. I had to enjoy, I had to embrace the suffering. I didn't really see, man, I'm, now I'm at mile 70. I've never gone 70 miles before. What if I can go 30 more miles in this situation? So I, I'd have talked to myself very differently versus being scared of what I was doing in my body. Because if I thought that way, which a normal person should think that way, but once again, <laughs> I have a warrior's mentality. I thought the exact opposite. What if I get through this, being this messed up? And it sparked my endorphins to say, if I can go 100 miles or 30 more miles, this messed up where most human beings would, couldn't. I, I just did the what if. Right. And I saw myself finishing this race in the feeling I would have after I finished it and, it. and it got me through it. Most people would say, well, you're just a glutton for punishment. Right. Like, what is it? You know, what is this masochistic relationship? to suffering all about like what are you getting out of it and you know i think i know your answer but right. but um i think that question is as much a reflection of where we're at as a society right as much as it is you know an answer or uh, a comment on you as an outlier right and that's what i always say before i start any interview that this is one reason why i didn't want to go on social media because people will take exactly what I said to you because why most people haven't found what they're passionate about. I did, and I was passionate about David Goggins in this journey, my journey. It, it's not your journey, anybody, it's my journey. And my journey was to see how far can I go? I came from nothing. 
I had nothing. I had nothing, no great mentality, no great family, no great education, no great, you know, I have sickle cell. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a hole in my heart the size of a poker chip, I had two heart surgeries. I had nothing. And my journey was to see what I was capable of. So it wasn't like being a masochist, nothing like that. It was the fact that I wanted to see who the best me was. And I wasn't willing to settle for stopping at 70 miles. Right now, I'm very glad that I don't do that anymore. Like, I don't have that in me anymore. At that time in my life, I was looking for myself. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for myself. It wasn't about being a masochist, because it hurt. Yeah, I didn't like the pain. It was real. It was real to me. Um, I'm not a crazy guy. I'm not a masochist. I'm a guy that wanted better for myself. And if you're willing to live, yeah, it doesn't take you running 100 miles. It doesn't take you running on broken feet. It doesn't take you having all these things I had to run through. For me, it did. Right. Everybody has their version of what Everybody that looks like, right? Everybody has their version. And, you know, this kind of gets into a little bit like what I, what I wanted to get into before, which is like, how do you conceptualize happiness, right? So we're right. in this culture where basically we're inundated with messaging and that message is, you know, in order to be happy, you, you need a super big TV and you need, uh, you know, you need to be secure in your job and you need right. to surround yourself with all these material possessions and you want to be as comfortable as possible and, and sort of, uh, you know, live in luxury, right? right? Like this is the aspiration of the American dream. Right. And and in contrast to that, you're experiencing a level of happiness that most people can't access and you're doing it in a very kind of Spartan stoic way by living this minimal lifestyle and, and right. pushing yourself to be constantly, you know, perpetually out of your comfort zone to continually, you know, sort of uh, test yourself and, ex- and try to expand your horizons, right? right? So. Like, how do you think about that and talk about that? Well, I, I did that for a period of time. So I lived the Spartan lifestyle for a period. I, I have a Spartan mind now, uh-huh. but I'm retired. Yeah. I did a 50-miler <laughs> two weeks ago. Uh-huh. So let, let's be clear, that's not my life. That was never my life. I'm in a whole different journey now. Yeah, but you're not gonna move. You're not gonna move to Beverly Hills and get some big swank no, pad. Like but, I don't see you changing. You're not gonna become a different person. Well, I, I will tell you this, I am. Interesting. And while I'm telling you this, we all have a journey. Uh huh. That journey for me is over. Uh-huh. Yeah, I will always work out. I will always have the Spartan mind. I will always say, stop feeling sorry for your damn self. Get the hell up, because I know what you can do. Mm-hmm. That part of my life. So, the whole part of the journey is to get to the part where you find peace. Once you find peace, and your, your journey may be very well, then short. You can, you can do anything, you can go anywhere. Exactly, once you realize, why am I gonna continue to do I now know for 100% fact, I can do anything I want to do. I'm gonna fail probably a million times trying mm-hmm. to do it, but I guarantee you one thing, you will then read about 20 years from now, David Goggins, doing what he set out to do and he failed for 20 years you're reading the paper that son of a bitch actually did it <laughs> because i know i can uh-huh i know i figured out a way he can but so what is it what is it what's the next thing well now the whole thing now is why i'm on social media uh-huh because now i figured out how a human being can endure more than what they think is possible with, with nothing. Like people think you need great parents, you need great education, all this stuff. They think you need to have all this stuff and they have this thing like, well, maybe it wasn't meant to be. If I had that mindset one damn time in my life, I'd be a 400 pound man 
spraying for cockroaches still. Right. So my whole thing is now, I know how to think properly to be successful in all kind of aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And it's not about ultra running. It's not about just being a SEAL. It's not about pull-up records or anything like that. It's about if you want to be better, you have to change the way you your perceived limitations mm-hmm. and take the barriers down. And I think that gets that kind of dovetails nicely into this idea of of purpose and finding your purpose. I mean, right. like you said, most people don't, you know, most people don't know what their purpose is. And and I think there's a lot of confusion between right. purpose and being purposeful versus like inspiration or right. motivation, right? So I know like on social media your tagline is like beyond motivation, right. like sort of, you know, uh, unpacking the inherent limitations of motivation versus purpose. Right. Motivation is crap. Like right now, there's people out here right now who's going to hear this podcast and maybe they'll think, you can think whatever you want to about David Goggins. I don't care because I know the truth. I know the truth. I know that my journey sucked and I didn't like it. I didn't want to be a SEAL. I didn't want to be a ranger. I didn't, I hate, I'm afraid of heights. Uh-huh. I'm afraid of cold, dark water. That's why I was the only 36 African-American in 70 years to become a SEAL. Right. <laughs> okay? Okay, I, I was 300 pounds twice in my life. Um. So basically... And you hate running. And I hate running. But people people say every day, <laughs> they, they tell me all like, the time... that can't be true. That can't be... You know what? So believe what you want. Think I'm crazy, because why you think this? Because you can't see yourself going further than what you can. So you want to put a tag on David Goggins, well, tag me. I'm sorry to say, I say beyond motivated because it takes that to be successful. I may motivate you right now. If you're living in Chicago and it's minus two degrees and I motivated you to get out of your house and go run two miles, but that wind chill hits your face once you go outside, that motivation is going to go away real fast. Mm-hmm. You go back inside and sit your ass on that couch. A person that's driven and passionate, they go outside, feel that wind chill, they go back inside to get a new hat. Because I'm going to get my damn running today. Right. So how do how do people find that? You know what? Like they have to. It's their own thing, man. It's like, their own thing, but you have to get in a quiet place in your brain. We all live on our phones. Job. We all live on Google. Yeah. We all live in in this whole social media world that I really hate. I absolutely hate it. And yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. But look at my messages. My, uh-huh. my messages to motivate you to be better. It's not about look at me. Look at me. Look at this. No, it's about me knowing what it takes to be better. I became a master at the mind. I'm trying to share it. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to do. Why you can't find purpose? Because in your head, there's a bunch of noise. When I was younger growing up, they called me this, they called me that. I had all that noise in there. The second I put on the kind of quote unquote Bose headphones and silenced the noise, I listened to my internal voice. Half of us live our whole lives and never even listen to what the hell we want to do. How are you going to find purpose when you don't even know who the hell you are because you're trying to find yourself through other avenues of... Well, we're, we're just reacting mindlessly to the circumstances that we're presented with. True. Right? And, and I, think, I think really what you're saying is you got you to gotta invest in yourself. It's an inside job. Like You have to connect with who you are. That's right. And in order to do that, you do have to get quiet because you have to be able to discern the difference between those external messages right. that you're unconsciously, you, you're unaware are motivating all of your actions right. and to connect with the person inside of you 
that stands apart from that and what that means and what that voice is and right. start to cultivate that. And yeah, you can't do it when you're constantly checking Twitter no. or when someone's screaming at you all day. Right. Right. And what's funny about that is why I'm so misunderstood is because so few people have found their passion and found why the hell they're on this planet. And once you find it, you will then, oh, Maybe David well, Goggins do, wasn't you don't, so crazy. You don't give a shit what anyone thinks. Nothing. Then you're not on social media because you're doing your thing. Right. You, you know don't what I mean? care you're anymore. You're not trying to take anyone else down a notch. That's exactly it. You're not trying to put them in a category to make yourself feel better. You now understand why this guy did what he did because he found his purpose in his life. Hmm. And that's, that's it. Right. So, <clears throat> all right. So you broke all your feet, but then, so you got to call up Costman and tell him you ran a hundred miles, right? So, so after I call it, so after I get through running a hundred uh, miles in 18 hours and 56 minutes, I call up Chris Costman. I'm not going to tell you how bad off I was. I was really jacked up. And I called Chris Costman and I said, Hey man, you I called him like that night. Like it was, it was that happen? next morning. And by the way, this is where Jesse Itzler was there, right? right? And the that's where you meet him the and the whole thing yeah, yep. came from that. So so here I am now. I call Chris Kostman up. And Chris Kostman, like I said, is a stickler for his race. And he said, the whole idea of a 24-hour race is to run 24 hours. <laughs> and That's I, like the perfect message for you. And I right? said, because I, I stopped it at, uh-huh. after I got 101. <laughs> yeah. He said, 100 miles, 24 hours, you I got 100. He's still had he eight said, hours, yeah. six hours. Why whatever. did you stop? Yeah. And so I said, God, he's not going to let me in the race. So there was one more race I could do, and I had broken feet, and I was all jacked up. And it was called the Hurt 100. Very few people complete the Hurt 100. It's a brutal it's race in Hawaii. one of the hardest races in the world. In the world. And this was my second race I'd ever done. And it was uh, two months later. Uh-huh. And the Hurt 100, 100 miles over almost 26, 27,000 feet of climbing in this jungle in Hawaii. And it's brutal. It's, it's almost unrunnable. And it's just treacherous, man. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the, the deadline was, Janu- was January 19th. I finished the race January 17th. I was in, I was in a um, wheelchair with my ex-wife doing the five-page application process. I overnighted to Chris Kostman. He got it. And he's like, you, you're very driven, man. And right. he let me in the race. So you ran Hurt 100. The feet are still broken, right? right? And then Bad Water is July. July, right? July. So were the feet healed up by then? No. I, if you look at <laughs> if you look at um, pictures of me, look at pictures of my ankles. You'll see this compression tape. So how I end up running to train for Bad Water and Hurt 100? I had this compression tape on that kept me in my shins nice and tight, and mm-hmm. I had these big pressure ulcers because the tape was dug in. And anyway, that's how I ran. I can only run about 30 to 40 miles a week training for bad water because i was so broken and how did you even like approach the idea of okay so now i'm in and i've got this block of time like how do i maximize that to be as best prepared as i can like did you get a coach or did you just go (laughs) on feel like i know you're just you just go out and go right no i just i i knew the race sucked i knew it was hot uh and i've never had a coach in my life and I just started training hard. Right. And I started training more in my mind. You get, did, did you get the, the treadmill and the sauna thing? No, but I, I did do a lot of sauna training, like workouts, push-ups, push-ups, stuff like that. I spent uh-huh. a lot of time in the sauna, but I couldn't run that much because my feet right. were so broken. I did a lot of time on an elliptical trainer. Mm-hmm. I did hours mm-hmm. 
on the elliptical. I did hours hiking with big rucksacks on. And I just trained very barbaric because the race was barbaric to me. It wasn't much about running. In the first year, I did bad where I got fifth place. But once again, I walked most of it. I just walked hard. And I, and I, didn't, I didn't stop at all. I just, just walked hard. I just uh -huh. walked real hard. And I got fifth place. And the third year, second year, I came back and I got third place. Did in like 25 hours, right. something like that. So Yeah, it's amazing. And, and you know, everyone knows about the heat at Badwater, but a lot of people underappreciate the elevation gain. Like there's some serious climbing in that in that race. There is. But, you know, when after you've done the Hurt 100 before Badwater, uh -huh. it didn't really like right. 26,000 feet versus 13 some thousand. Even the last... Uh, the last 13 up up the, uh, Whitney that climb sucked but it's on a road yeah and you can actually get that nice grip of your feet and actually get in a nice rhythm of just walking mm -hmm. and you know the race sucks trust me but after you the hurt 100 in this dark jungle where you can't see pitch dark in front of you and you're up and down like a like an EKG the whole race like an EKG up and down that's uh -huh. how the race profile looks it really put bad water it sucked bad water was horrible but the Hurt 100 was something right. real bad. And after the first bad water, I think three months later was Ultraman, right? Like you just went straight I into I went that? straight into the right. November or whenever Ultraman was. Uh -huh. I, I I did, I had to borrow a bike from a friend. Right. I, I trained for like three weeks on the bike and I went off to the Ultraman <laughs> and, I, and I had, I didn't know how to change a tire. So uh -huh. why I didn't win that race was you got second in the race. And I should have won. I, uh -huh. I, I should have won. I actually lost 30 minutes on the bike because I couldn't change a tire. Uh -huh. So what happened was I was waiting for the for this the uh, vehicle to come up to change my tire. So I got this spare bike out the back of the car and it didn't have any clips on it. So I had my running I had my running shoes in the back, put my running shoes on and put the little pedals on and just rode the bike for the next 75 miles with just pedals on. Uh -huh. And... I end up the day three. I, I I won day three, the actual running part, mm -hmm. and I missed first place by ten minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, that run is uh, that's that's quite something, man. That you did that. I'm surprised you didn't go back and try to win it. Well, you know what? I I hated the race. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I uh, well. I, here's the thing. Like you're for most people, and I would include myself in this category, like the idea of tackling one of those races like could be a life-defining thing. And it's something that like you orient your whole life and you just kind of approach these like, it's another workout, man. Like I did that, what's next? That's You're always exactly. looking forward. You know, you parachuted into the the beginning of the Ironman right. and then you did the Ironman and then I think you worked out after that was done, right? right? You're like, it's just another workout, I'm moving forward. And what's funny about that is in 2007, I actually did, I think, seven or eight consecutive, in consecutive weekends, 100-mile races. Uh -huh. And these 100 miles was like the Bear 100, Angels Crest, Leadville. I had done Badwater, you know, before that. I did uh, Western States before Badwater. So three weeks before Badwater, I did Western States. Uh -huh. Then after that, I went to Leadville in August. And after that, I went right to, oh, the Plain 100, a self-supported 100-mile race. Um, Angels Crest, I said the Bear. Then the fit, and I did like six 50-mile races in that year. Then I ended that year running 205 miles around at the Grapevine, Texas. Right. And, and they were workouts. They and were for any uh, anybody else. Like their whole season would be oriented around just one of those. Right. Right. And you're just going from thing to thing to thing. So, so I'm trying to get a sense of, you know, obviously like the exceptionalism of your mindset and your mental approach to all of this. But on some level, like I know that you kind of 
categorize or think of yourself as like, look, I, I'm an average dude, you know, I'm tough, but like I was 300 pounds. Right. But there has to be some sort of, you know, uh, I mean, are you willing to like entertain the possibility that you do have like some talent in doing this? Or is it all like you're chalking it all up to preparation and mindset? Well, like I said, if anybody's familiar with sickle cell, um, it's a blood disease that pretty much um, it's called sudden death syndrome. A lot of African-Americans who have it, they just pass out and die. So, you know, my VO2 max is horrible. My hematocrit and all this stuff is horrible. And also having the hole in your heart that the, the size I had, it, it took away a lot of my. Yeah, that's the other thing, like you have, ability. like you have, like uh, you're operating with like only like twenty five percent of your capability. And, and right, that's what I'm trying to issues. tell people, right? And I was trying to tell people, everybody thinks that they they want to believe, and I wish I was. After every race, I was either in a on a, in, in a wheelchair or whatever because running with sickle cell is is, is just not the smartest thing to do. Those mm. those distances. At mile 50 of every 100-mile race, man, I was destroyed. And I just had to find, but the feeling of the next 50 miles I had to go, I, I learned a lot about David Goggins and, and, and the will. It was always me against me. So, no, I, I, I don't have any ability. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try Waking Up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care 
tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. See, this is the heart of the whole thing though, because I think it's really important because if you are a genetic freak of nature, then it's very easy for somebody to shrug you off. Like, oh yeah, well he does it, but like, you know, he's who he, he's Dave Goggins. You right. know what I mean? Like normal people can't do that. And for you to always anchor it and bring it back to, look, man, these are the challenges that I'm right. facing. I'm facing, I have to overcome more of these challenges right. than the average guy. Like I'm actually starting at a deficit right. with this. And I'm not going to ever let anybody make themselves feel better by telling me that I was some genetic freak. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make yourself feel better about that. You, I suffered. And I always say suffer because that's what I did. It was miserable. 
the races, every single race in Hell Week, in Buds, in Ranger School, I suffered tremendously. I was not, I should never have been able to do it, which is why I'm so proud of myself. I don't care what place I came in. I don't care. I walked 105 miles of bad water. Mm-hmm. I'm, I did it. Mm-hmm. That was the journey. That was the mission. That was it's about. It's not about, oh, well, this guy's just a freak. If that makes you feel better, that's fine. No, you can do it off just a breath of air in the right mindset. That's the message. So you you watered down my message by putting me in a category of I'm crazy, I'm a freak, whatever. Well, all of those all of those arguments are comfortable arguments to allow people to stay stuck in whatever situation exactly. they're in. You know what I mean? Right. So it's more uncomfortable if they have to actually reckon and wrestle with the fact that right. you are like them. Just you like know? them. And, and no one, people don't want to do that. Just like them. They don't like want to look them. in the mirror, right? And, right. So tell me about the, the mirror thing is a big thing with you, right? It's a huge thing for me. It's called the accountability mirror. So I talked about my childhood. And if anybody thinks I'm some great person, listen to my childhood again. I had to change my thinking process. And basically the accountability mirror is what did it. I started shaving my head and my face when I was 16 years old. And I realized when I started shaving my face and my head, I, you have a lot of time to look at your reflection. And for something sparked in me, I'm like, man, I, I'm a piece of crap. Like I ducked school, I ducked school, I barely am graduating, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm all these things, man. And I had to really tell myself the truth. And so many people, when you say you're dumb, the first thing people say, oh, no, you're not. If you're dumb, you're dumb. If you're fat, you're fat. But if you're not willing to tell yourself that, and everybody around you in your circle it continues to give you this positive feedback, if you suck, you suck. Mm-hmm. If you tell yourself you suck, that is when you become great. Well, then you're, you're getting into the solution. That yeah. is what I'm talking about. So that accountability mirror was, I got to become... I got to get to the surface of who I'm not. And I held myself accountable. I lied to this person today. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm this. I'm that. And I tell myself. And I fixed these issues and fixed these issues. And that part was hard. It was hard to not be jealous of this person who had this and this and this. I had nothing. Nothing. It was hard to tell this person, yeah, I'm jealous of you. And I'm insecure. I'm a very insecure guy. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing. It was hard to look at all that. I'm, I'm not real smart. And I had, but I had to fix these issues. And the accountability mirror was now looking at myself in the mirror and say, wow, you fixed these issues. Right. So that's a thing that you like consciously practice every day. Every day of my life. In the mirror. Every yeah. day of my life. Even now. So if I were to say some little white lie and I go to the mirror in the morning time, I shake my hands like, man, why the hell did you say that to that guy? And he would get a call from me and say, look, dude, I, 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 I lied. That's like that's like twelve step, man. It's like doing your daily inventory right. and like making amends for your bullshit. That's it. You know what I mean? Because you're only lying to yourself. So when you see like this, you know, we're in this cultural malaise right now, where like every kid gets a participation trophy, and like <laughs> yeah. we have to tell everyone that they're great. Even right. though, you know what I mean? It's all yep. about like feelings, and everybody's a special snowflake, and all right. of that. Like, you know, that must make you insane. It makes me more than insane. Uh-huh. It, it really. Um, it's the destruction of this of, of this country, and I love this country. I've i fought hard for it. I will continue to fight for it, and hopefully, through 
mental toughness. It takes mental toughness to change how you look at things. And giving a person a trophy saying you're great when you're really not. If I had that growing up, there would be no David Goggins. Mm -hmm. Zero. There'd be no tough people. Mm -hmm. None. Which is why the world is where it is today. A bunch of weak, uh, some weak people. Right. There's a lot of weak people now. Right. So right now, there's a lot more awareness about what a seal is and what a seal does because right. of Hollywood. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's a bright white spotlight being shined on like SEAL Team 6 right. and American Sniper and like all of this, right? Informs our awareness of what this is, right? So right. What, is, what is the reality versus like what we're presented? Like what do we, what do you wish like people act, understood about what it actually is like to be, you know, to do what you do like when you're deployed? Right. Um, great question. And once again, that will help people who want to put me in a category. Maybe I am in a category. I'm in a very small category of warriors, real warriors. And I want to say that is a whole different mentality. So I've worked with people who had the courage to jump on grenades and kill themselves to save everybody around them. That's the kind of mentality it takes to be a SEAL. Does every Navy SEAL have it? No. Mm -hmm. But that's what SEALs are that's what we try to, that's why Navy SEAL training buds is so hard. We're trying to find that person who's willing to go the distance. And the distance is your life. So when I'm talking to people right now, maybe what I say to you does not resonate because why you're not willing to give your life for something. Every SEAL, at least most, I can't speak for everyone, most of us are. A lot of people who go fight for this country, a lot of them are not willing to do that. Am I talking bad about them? No, don't take it and twist my words. People like to twist words. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for that. But a lot of people are scared. Navy SEALs are scared also. But a lot of us have a way to realize what we have decided to do with our lives. And it takes a great sacrifice, and that sacrifice could be your life. And that you have to be able to do that to become a warrior. If you go into combat scared, you can be scared, but you can't be so scared it makes you afraid to fight. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. We're able to control that. And a lot of us are able to put ourselves in hell and become the devil. Do you think that your your sense of purpose and like your 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 sense of like clear direction for your life has allowed you to, you know, weather those experiences and come back and like not suffer some of the sort of traumatic stress that you hear about with a lot of veterans? Definitely. Yeah. Um I've already I had PTSD a long time ago. You know, you can get it in war, you can get it in life, and, I, and you have to deal, and a lot of people cannot deal with it. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to deal with these things and realize, I built up a pretty hard, like I have a whole bunch of calluses on my hands from doing pull-ups. I also calloused my brain through my life, through suffering, through not saying no, for not listening to the negative energy, to negative people. And when you continue to move forward through hell and move forward past your fears and your insecurities and continue to push through this wall, your brain becomes really callous and you're able to see things that most people can't even comprehend because you always, you never ran from the fight. You ran to the fight. Mm -hmm. And that built a different kind of mindset that allowed me to deal with very, very tough things. Do you think that somebody can 
adopt that level of discipline or at least a modicum of the level of discipline that you hold yourself to hold yourself accountable to um, without having suffered the kind of you know pain that you've had to right. go through you know what i mean like it, like pain's the greatest motivator right you know it's what i mean pain mentally and physically this but like you, know. you don't you don't have to be in pain to change it's no. just that most people don't change unless they're in pain right right Right, I, I believe you can, but it truly takes you wanting. And that's the thing about it, man. Like, you really have to want something bad. And that's the one thing I learned about life. You have to be willing to fail a hundred times to succeed once. And if you're not willing to do that, man, you're not going to even get a fraction of what you're looking for. I think we need to rethink how we frame failure. Like, I don't even like that word. You know right. what I mean? Because it, it implies such a negative you know, outcome or perspective. Like it should just be, it sh there should be a different word for it and then right. we wouldn't be so caught up in it. You right. know what I mean? You know what, what you said is so true. Um, that word doesn't bother me because I, I, I look at it like you are trying to say it. Right. Failure is, is just a word. For me, failure was me having more information on how to succeed. That's all failure became to me. So I failed so much. Pull-up records, running events, had to quit this, buds, rangers, all this crap I had to go back through. All that was was, oh, I failed because of these reasons here. Go back to the drawing board, figure out the right equation, mm -hmm. put it together, go back, fail again. Oh, but I got more information. You just neutralize it. Like it should be, if you, if you every time you see failure, you replace it with the word try or something like that. Whatever or, you want. You know, whatever, you know what I mean? And, and, and just drain it of all of that like right. heightened negative, you know, energy. Or else to suck it up and say, I failed. And you won't say, feel so <laughs> weird about, you know right. what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So how do you, I mean, what would you, like, what is your weakness? Like, what's your blind spot, your Achilles heel? Because well, like, the work's never done, right? No. Like, so what's, what do you, what do you still need to work on? Um, like I said, I was afraid of the water, afraid of jumping, all these things I was afraid of. So everything I was afraid of, I made sure to meet it right in the face and overcome it. Right now, um, what I'm working on now is learning how most people think. Because my whole thing, why I was hard for me to go on social media, because why people would give me this weak crap. And I absolutely cannot understand this freaking <laughs> mentality. So I would just go off. Because uh -huh. I would go back to where I came from. And I would approach you in a way that was grandimal, animalistic, like, what is wrong with, why don't you go somewhere in your uh -huh. mind where you find out who the hell you are? And then it's three in the morning and you're like going back and forth yeah. with someone. <laughs> so I'm going off and I had to realize that there's very few people, if any, that have done what you've done mentally. So I had to go back and I'm always bettering how I think. People will change their car, they'll change their underwear, they'll change their husband, their wife, They'll change their diet, but very few people change the way they think. And that's why they always fuck themselves in life. Mm -hmm. They never change the way they think. Oh, my house is old. I don't get a new house. I want to get a new pair of this or that. But the one thing we never change, why we always stay the damn same and never wonder why we're getting better, because we never change the way we think. 
I'm constantly changing the way I think. The core of who I am, I'll never change that. I'm proud of that. Warrior, Spartan mentality. But how I deal with people, how you can touch people is you got to know what, what they respond to. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's responding to me saying, look, get the shit up, man. Stop being a little punk. Mm-hmm. I got to see what's wrong with you. Think what I'm thinking and then tell you what, not what you want to hear, but kind of what's going to motivate you. We're all motivated very differently. That's so interesting. We're all motivated You know what I mean? It's interesting that you can get provoked by some troll on the internet. You know what I mean? Somebody who's a master of, of, of emotional discipline, right? So I think that you just, you, just, you just shouldn't be, you should be putting out your message and you should not be reading any of the comments. Well, I'm not provoked by it. What it is, like if but I'm you're, coaching- But you're confused, right? You feel compelled to respond. Well, when you're passionate about something and someone's trying to tell you what you're thinking, like a lot of people, some people tell me, well, do you find love in your life or are you happy with who you are? And that's you, very loaded, right? That's like right. a leading question. So yeah. it's just like, I, I can't really give you the thing, but what sets me off or you set me off was just honestly, people reading into something because we overthink everything. Stop overthinking. Like, get the hell out there and do it. Yeah, that's the internet though. Like, like welcome it, to the internet. Which is why yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> Which is why I was never on Put it. your positive message out and just don't engage in well, any other aspect of it. That's, that's what, what I've I, done. I say. Yeah. That's what I've done. But there's going to be times in my life where some people just need to hear something from a different person. Because it may, may, like I said, thinking, it may change the way you think. If you ignore all those comments, which I do most of them, some of them you got to attack. Because why? I might put a spark in your brain mm-hmm. to maybe you may think to yourself, Wow. Hmm. That just changed my life. Right. So if you ignore all of them, you're ignoring the fact of why I am on social media. Right. To now tell you how I'm thinking and not just hear the weak sauce you have that you're bringing my way. I get it, man. You just, you got to get, you got to get a book done. Oh, right. I'm in the process right now Uh of writing this book that I've been asked for several years to write. And I'm just, Putting my stuff in there, man. If you, you know, that's all I'm doing. That's good. That's all I'm doing. So what is, how has, uh, a lot of people ask this and want to know um, how your diet has evolved and changed over over time, like from going from doing, you know, back to back hundred milers right. to kind of what you're doing now. I have several different diets because I'm doing, I'm constantly tapping my body in several different ways. If I'm not running a hundred mile race, I'm a guy that's doing like, 4,000 push-ups in a day. Or I'm a guy that's trying to do, I did 67,000 pull-ups in nine months to train for the pull-up record. Uh-huh. So, you broke, does it still stand? That was 2013, I right? don't think it still stands. I'm not yeah. for sure, but I know that if it doesn't stand, um, I, I'm not going for it again. Merry right. Christmas, you got it. <laughs> Have it. So you did it, you did it. The, the thing you did on the Today Show, that was like 2011, right? No, like it was actually 2012. 12. So I did a pull-up record attempt, failed miserably. Two months later, in, so I did one in um, September, did another one in November, then did another one, I finally got it in January. Right. So it was two months off, fail, two months off, fail, Pass. Right. 4,030. 4,030. 17 hours. Yeah, wow. Yep. Insane, man. So right, my so diet's diet is constantly changing. Yeah. And um and I don't, you know, I don't really 
talk about diet too much, man, because it's just always changing. But um, it just depends what I'm doing. I'm a big protein guy, um, mm. a big amino acid guy, but I don't really get in the weeds with all this diet stuff. You know, I, I keep a lot of things still secret to myself. You know, everybody wants People everything. People get heated around diet. Everybody man. wants no diet. Yeah. Everybody wants no diet. Well, it's it's that's I'm asking you mainly because, like you saw the tweets, I think like every, that's what everyone wants to know. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think the bigger issue is like. If you tell me what David's morning routine is, or if you tell me exactly what his training program is, or mm-hmm. if you tell me exactly how he eats, then I can be David Goggins, or I can approximate. <laughs> I can approximate some right. aspect of. I can. I can bring a little bit of David Goggins into my life. Right. And for me, it's missing the most important thing, it's the which is going back to mindset. It's like connecting with yourself. That's all what it is. is. What is it that? that gets you out of bed. Like, how can you find that perfect? It's not about what David does in his no, morning routine or what his workout all. is. It's about you and your relationship to yourself. You said it, right? Period, dot. It's not about what David's eating. It's not about what anybody's eating. Once you figure out who you are, hopefully you get one thing from me today. Change the way you are thinking. Don't put... But your- if you're... But if you... Listen... I'm just trying to get in the in. I'm trying to get into the head of the guy who's sitting at his cubicle at work, right? Who's hating his life, mm-hmm. right? And David's telling me I got to change the way I think. Well, like, what the fuck do I do with that? Like, I don't, I don't understand what I'm supposed to actually do. Well, what you do, what you're supposed to do is everybody has issues. You're a human being. You're fucked up somewhere, and that somewhere or several somewheres is keeping you in that same spot. Like the spot is this. How do you lose 100 pounds? How do you run 100 miles? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you? Let me tell you how. Stop asking these fucking questions is how. Stop, you're delaying the fucking process (laughs) by wasting my fucking time. How I did it, I wanted it. So my process was as I'm asking questions, I'm running to lose weight. I'm figuring out how to do it. Most of us sit back and say, God, I wish I could do that. And we wait and we wait and we ask more questions and ask more questions and prolong. David, what kind of watch are you wearing? What kind of running exactly. shoes? Exactly. It's like, they're not going to go out and run until they got all the answers. I need, the gear. I need to know all this stuff. Right. Or who's, uh, you know, what is your approach to this thing? Right. Da, 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 da. And I look at you and I'm like, this guy wanted to do bad water. You know, a week later, he's running 100 miles on a track. You exactly. Know nothing about nothing. That's but exactly you just knew it. you that you had, you, you had drive and you had a vision and you had passion and you went after it. And you had, not only did you not have the answers, you weren't even asking the questions yet. I don't care. <laughs> because, and, and this is the thing about it. Like, and that's what's so funny. You, and that's why I get so turned off by people like that. I get it. You have to have knowledge to be great at something and to, to, to lose weight, to be a smart, you got to have knowledge. Knowledge is power. But I'm going to tell you right now, man, how much damn knowledge do you need? You can go on the internet right now and figure out how to drop five pounds tomorrow. Everything is right there at your service. If you want it, you will achieve it. But if you want to waste time and figure out, ask all these fucking questions, I'm going to give you the same answer. Stop asking the question and achieve what you want. If I asked a bunch of questions, I would still be trying to figure out how to do run 100 miles. So many people tell me, I would love to run Badwater one day. Why the fuck haven't you done it? You told me that five years ago. 
I wonder, I had an idea to run Badwater. I did it in four months. <laughs> I qualified in four days and ran the damn race. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, had to lose 105 pounds in 60 days to get in and do it. I lost the weight and became a damn SEAL. I wanted to be a Ranger at 41 years old. People go, what do you want to do next? I don't know. I've already done it. Because the second I thought about it, I researched it. I didn't ask questions. I achieved it. We waste tons of time not starting our journey for asking so many fucking questions on how to start the journey. Get an idea, start walking and figure the shit out as you go, vision quest. But David, you don't understand my life. Exactly. You know, I got, I got, you know, I work, I have to get up at five and I yep. work till nine and I got three kids and yep. I'm barely making ends meet. Like, it's cool that you can do that, but like, that's, you know, it's just not possible. What I love about that me. is People can come at me with all that crap all day long. When I say that right there to you, I was a full-time Navy SEAL. There's 24 hours in a day. I was doing ultra races. And how I did it was I had to be at work at 7 o'clock in the morning. I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I ran. And then I rode my bike to work. And I did the same thing. And I came home. If you want it, you will find time in your life to do it. If you don't want it, you will continue to do exactly what you're doing now is give me excuses. You're gonna make up every excuse on why you can't do it, and that's why I can't connect with you. And that's why you hear the passion come out of me, and you mm -hmm. wanna say it's anger? No, because I know it can be done. And you're telling me all this shit on why it can't be done, and then what you do is, he's crazy, he's in the cat. No, you don't want it bad enough. If you want it bad enough, you will figure out how to make this shit happen. And most people don't want anything bad enough. No. I think that's the truth. Period. That's the unfortunate, sad truth. Uh -huh. That's know. good for me, though. I'll take it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it all. And I always tell you about it right now. When I grew up, I'm 41 years old, and we always talk about the old days. It's not, I'm not old, but it was a different time. Parents could actually whip their kids, and they actually had things like that going on. If I was, with my mentality today, if I was born now, with my mentality today, It'd be such an easy, easy way to go. So easy. You would just crush, crush it. Crush everybody. All these snowflakes It'd are going to be melting I would be around a, you. I, I would have so much stuff for me because why? It's so easy to compete with these guys. You can crack somebody. You can crack their will in a second. You're fat. Oh, my God. What was me? You can crack someone in a minute because they don't know how to twist it and find drive and motivation and passion to become better, to become great. That right there, you tell one kid he's fat, that may stick with him the rest of his life mm -hmm. and take him down a whole other journey than the journey he's supposed to be on. This is a, a very different society. So in terms of like this new chapter in your life that you're, that you're kind of embarking on, um, how important is it to you to like maintain these lifestyle habits of like, you know, like like whether it's you know restricting yourself in certain regard like like you know yourself now right so you don't you don't really have to do all these things anymore mm. but do you still do them like you know when you read jesse's book it's like you're sleeping in a chair you know mm. you're doing all this kind of stuff like i don't imagine you're doing that now but no. like do you feel like you have to how much do you feel like you have to stay in touch with that aspect of who you are i think it's important to not go too far with it but i always have to make sure that my refrigerator is empty and what that means is, yeah, I'm successful now. I've come to a point in my life where I'm very proud of myself. I love myself for all you people out there who don't think it. I'm very peaceful. I love what I've accomplished. I'm so proud of that. 
But at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen to a man is he becomes civilized. Once you become so civilized that you have everything you want, that warrior mentality that I'm so proud of that I had to, it wasn't, I, I wasn't born with it. I had to go through the crucible of my life to acquire it. You always want to keep that thing sharp like a sword. So you always sharp, you don't have to sharpen it every day like you did when you were going to combat. Mm-hmm. But if you leave it alone for too long, it gets a little dull. And that's my mind. I always want to sharpen. I don't have to do these things every single day of my life. But you always got to go back and sharpen that sword every now and then to make sure that that mentality is still there and your refrigerator is still empty because you always want to keep that edge. And that edge is what keeps you going forward. Right. So if you had to, if you were put in a position to like be a high school teacher and you could come up with like a, any kind of curriculum mm-hmm. you wanted for your students, mm-hmm. like what, you know, what would that look like for you? The basis of my curriculum, because education is so important, but the 50, 75% of it would be yourself, your mind, mental toughness, self-discipline, courage, honor, respect, all these things, all these words are just words. People use them as punchlines. I would get to the core of these individuals. Because once I get to the core of who you are, then we can succeed. Right. Everything else will fall into place if you have that. Right. And yet our educational system has this massive blind spot. Right. Like they don't teach that. We're not instilled with these ideas. And these are the ideas that are either gonna make you or break you. Core values, Because man. if you can light a spark in someone, if you can get them excited about learning, if you can get them feeling good about who they are by challenging them and getting them out of their comfort zones, right. then you're creating people that have a future. That's right. And that will serve, you know, all of us right. better, right? A lot better. You know what I mean? Right. So we got like a lot of work to do to sort that out, I think. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I know. A lot. So we're gonna we gotta wrap this up in a little bit, um, so I can let you get back to your life. But one thing I, I thought might be interesting to ask you, you know, there's a lot of talk about kind of the role that you played in changing Jesse Itzler's life as a mm-hmm. result of like living with him. But I'm interested in in what that experience was like for you, because that's getting out of your comfort zone to Big go time. like live with these people that are living this crazy lifestyle, who are you know doing things that are unfamiliar to you, right. right? Like, so what was that like, and what did you take away from that for yourself? You know, I they're super successful. Sarah Sarah Blakely, Jesse Itzler, Sarah Blakely is the founder of Spanx. These two individuals are super super successful. I took a lot from it, but. One thing I took from it was I'm very happy with my life, with my life of not having so much. And, you know, they have chefs and they have drivers and they have so much stuff going on in their life. And I'm a simplistic, I'm very simplistic. And my simplistic lifestyle gave me the life I wanted. I was able to really, I I became even more proud of who I am and and, and knowing what I really want. Like you look from the outside looking in, like man, private jets and flying around, and man, eat. I mean, even now, I mean, all this food and everything they want, everything is there. Once you go over there and you live in that world, it's great for some people. Great for some people. For me, I realized, you know what, man, that really is not for me. Who I am, the guy who has a backpack right there that can go five days with all the stuff in the backpack have some Subway sandwiches, have a cookie every now and then, 
go on his little run, come back, hit some push-ups, pull-ups, watch the football game in some hole in the wall or whatever, and just be proud of who I am and not need anything else external. That's yeah, your sense out. of self is completely uh, divorced from your external circumstances. A hundred percent. Right. And, you know, I think Jesse's a happy dude. Very. I love that guy. He's fantastic. Very. But it is interesting that even he, you know, he sought out to go run ultras. You know right. what I mean? It's like he was looking for something more and he sought you out to try to help him, you know, understand certain things about how he could be more fulfilled in the way that he's living. And and I credit him. That's like a, most people wouldn't do that. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. I give like him tons of credit. Yeah. He's a special, special guy in that. But I think that that's really cool. Yep. Um, so let's wrap it up with this. I mean, if there's one, if you can like distill, uh, you know, everything that you're about into like kind of one core message that you want people to take away, like what is it beyond what we've already talked about? Like, what is it that's holding people back? That's limiting them. That is, you know, that's keeping them stuck and in their blind spot. And how can you kind of speak to that to perhaps, you know, shake it loose a little bit and get people to think a little bit differently about how to, proactively approach their lives the truth their truth the real truth about who they are as a person and um i think it all really starts there the truth and knowing that you may not be a courageous person or you may not have this and that but are you willing to um find it within yourself to go through the very hard journey a lot of people in this world have died 80 90 100 years old and they lived a great life they had a lot of things. But a lot of people who have died never really started the true journey that whatever you believe in, God, or whatever you believe in, if you believe in nothing, I believe we're all here to start a journey. And that journey is fucking hard if you choose your real journey. Most of us, we decide to take a different journey in life. It's a journey of least resistance. And so what I challenge people to do is to realize that in themselves that yeah I have taken a lot of left turns when I should have stayed straight because why I wasn't good at something and it embarrassed me to not be good at something or I wasn't the smartest person or this or that whatever all these excuses are that we build up find the truth of who you are go back to the start of your journey and go down that path I guarantee you if you finish that journey and you don't fear and waver and, and, and go places that are very easy the other end of that journey, let me tell you, it is a peaceful end. And I'm not saying it's over for me, but I believe the hardest part of my life is over. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine anything else being worse than this. So, yeah, and to welcome to welcome the discomfort that comes with that, to like embrace the difficult aspect. We're so, we just want to run away from all that stuff. But as that's fast like, as we that's, can. if you really want to connect with who you are and you really want to feel fulfilled, right. like you have to confront that. You whether it's the lie that you're telling yourself about who you are or mm-hmm. the secret that you're keeping or you know that thing that you wish you were doing, but you're too afraid to, to start mm-hmm. doing it. And, and that's the moral of the story, man, is, um, Stop putting categories on people and because you are insecure yourself. So it makes you feel better as a person to say, ah, this guy did this or this girl did that or whatever. It makes you feel that much better. People love seeing failure. It makes them feel so good about themselves to see somebody not succeed at something. It makes them feel better. 
And that's the true story. Media culture is built upon that. They love it, man. Yeah. They love it. They they love it. Good talking to you, dude. You too, my man. Yeah, man. Super. Uh, this is gonna rock people. I'm super excited to share this. I appreciate what you do, and uh, I wish you well in this new chapter in your life. Super inspiring to spend a little time with you. I appreciate and, uh, it, man. It's an honor and a privilege, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate so, man. Uh, if you're digging on David, like I know you are, uh, best place to connect with him is davidgoggins.com, and you're at David Goggins on on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, if you th- if you sling a little mud at him, he might bite back. <laughs> Who knows? So yeah, we'll see. Uh, and anything else coming up? Are you, um, you're, you're doing a lot of public speaking these days, right? right? Now so, I'm, I'm speaking a lot. Yeah. Like I said, I did a 50 mile or two weeks ago. I'm giving myself a little break now from that, and I'm just doing my winter routine, which is a lot of calisthenics mm-hmm. and still running, always still running, doing a lot of versa climber, Jacob's ladder. Stuff like that, switching it up a little bit, finding, you know, never staying in the same pattern. You know, one of the things Jesse said, because uh, I talked to him before this, I was like, what should I ask David that's not obvious? You know, and he's like, ask him about how he stretches for four hours a day. Is that true? It is. I actually, so I I had a multitude, I have. I still have a multitude of health health issues. Right. We didn't even, you know, like I'm just being conscious of the time, but like we didn't we didn't even talk about the fact that like in 2010 you had this crazy heart thing, right? right. Like I remember because you were killing it in racing, and then you just had to stop, right? Right. And right. It wasn't until you came back in like 2013, but there was right. like a period there where you were off the radar. Huge period. I was extremely sick. I'm still sick now. So everything I talked about in my life, it comes at a price comes at a huge price when you will yourself so when you don't have ability and all you have is will something's going to give and what gives is your internal system so my adrenals are shot so your adrenals are your fight or flight like i discussed i was scared of everything i ever did in my life and i had to find something much deeper than myself to pull out to, to turn myself inside out mm-hmm. and how i did it was i used a lot of my adrenals and i had to find this uh, to get through all this pain and suffering and fear. And basically, my adrenals have shut down, all this thing. Everybody's gonna say, God, is it even worth it? Sure is, people. Sure is. Mm-hmm. Because that is my trophy, not the sickness. I knew what I was doing to myself when I was doing it. I found what I wanted to do, but it now I'm getting healthier. But so I stretched out because why my hip flexors got so tight, your so as muscle. Your psoas muscle is what tightens up when you're in a fight or flight situation. Hmm. I was in a fight or flight situation all through my deployments, jumping out of airplanes, being in scary situations, doing things I hated doing, which was my whole life pretty much. That psoas muscle got so tight, it started pulling on my T12. Right. Collapsed my spine. You have a bunch of nerve endings going through there. I can go all day talking about this. I got severely very sick. So basically what I did was I started this crazy stretch routine. And I literally have healed myself through the wow. discipline I had. And what people won't believe is I got to a point where I stressed out for eight to 12 hours a day. And then we went So from, essentially, like most of your waking hours when you're not working out. Stretching. Yeah. And it went from that to six hours a day. Then from six hours a day to four hours a day, the more I would open up. So the hips. And what your soul. Is there like a specific routine of stretches that you would go through? Or I just... would sit and stretch a whole big routine, a whole mess of like opening up your abductors because your abductors are attached to your hips, 
your hip flexors, your everything is attached at, at this region here, your mm -hmm. your your midsection, your your hips. And my hips got so tight that I couldn't even squat down. I had so much back pain. So that's why I, another reason why I started running. Running, you stay upright. I couldn't squat anymore. I couldn't do any of that power lifting stuff. So I just only thing I can do is run. Running didn't bother me too bad. And it mm -hmm. got to the point where I couldn't run either. And my health got real poor because my spine was collapsed. And um I just got real sick. And basically I healed myself because nobody no doctor can find out what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't run a lot. I couldn't do any activities. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna bury myself in stretching. And what happened was I had the shoes knot on the back of my head. The knot came from my spine collapsing and getting tighter and tighter and tighter. It developed fluid or whatever. Long story short, as I started stretching out, that bump started going away. And the, the smaller the bump got, the healthier I got. And That's I was like, amazing. what in the world is going on? So I would, so I shave every day, so I would feel this bump. And the bump, and you can see it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can see it. Yeah. So most people think everybody's a bump in the back of their head. My bump was like this big. Mm -hmm. It was huge. And the more I stretched, the more it went away. The more it went away, the more the healthier I got. And I was like, man. So I'd be like, I'm going to keep on stretching. So my stretching became, a, it was crazy. And I got healthier. And I was like, my God. So I stretched more and more and more. And now it's, I've been doing it now for three years. I haven't missed a day of stretching in three years. Wow. So now is it, is it literally like, is it, are you still at the four hour mark of stretching? I'm, I'm now at like the two hour mark. But what's funny about it, I went from, so I, I won a race called Strolling Gym. It's a 41 mile race in, in Tennessee. Our average about seven minute miles for 41 miles back in the back country, all mm -hmm. up and down hills. I could never even do that. Yeah, I've run marathons pretty fast, but my average training pace was at 8.30, 8.40. After I stretched out my hips, my average running pace now is between 7.15 and 7.30. Wow. And that's just because that's how crazy tight I was. So I'm a, if I want to get back into ultra running right now and really compete at a high level for me, I would run races a minute and a half faster per mile. That's crazy. And that's what I do now. So I did strolling gym a few years ago before I started stretching. I did it in 5.30 something, which is a good time. I did it this year, this past year in 4.50 something. Wow, and you're probably not training near the no, volume that you no, used to, right? No, no way, no way. That's so interesting. I mean, there's this whole other you know, camp sort of philosophy, especially in running, mm -hmm. that's like anti-stretching. They're right? out of like their minds, man. You shouldn't stretch. I was the same way. Yeah. That's why I never stretched. I was like, man, anti, because you don't, because you, you lose those fibers. Those, uh, you're an idiot. I would stretch out for eight hours in a day. And yeah, it takes a while for your body to get used to it. But most of us are sitting most of the time. When you yeah. sit, you're tightening up that hip flexor muscle, that psoas muscle. That's one of the most important muscles in your stride to get that long stride. Half of our strides have, sh have, have shrunk by inches. Mm -hmm. Your stride is how you run. And when I started stressing, I was like, my God, man, I'm clipping at a 730, 715 at the same heart rate. Because your stride's not, not restricted it's anymore. not restricted as yeah. much as it was. So mm -hmm. I've gained a minute per mile That's super interesting. just by stressing. So people say shit because they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. They don't even know. So... Get knowledgeable before you. I, and I read it. I read it. I listened to it. So I didn't stretch. It's the dumbest thing on the planet. Mm -hmm. And people talk about don't hold a stretch longer than 30 seconds or 15, whatever the hell the shit is. I'll be in a stretch for 30, 40 minutes. Come in it, go out of it. Go in it, go out of it. Go in it, go out of it. Don't believe everything you hear. Figure out yourself. 
Yeah, do do your own research on yourself. Like, be your own guinea pig, right? Experiment That's it, on man. yourself. So. That's it. All right, man. I'll I'll let you go. All right, brother. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can convince you to come back and talk more. This is really cool. Oh, man. people won't hear me anymore. So. <laughs> oh no, I, I'm telling you, man. They're done with me. No, people are gonna go nuts. This is great. So thank you. No problem, man. All Thanks right, for man. having me, brother. Peace. All right, how did that one land for you? I got to tell you, I really think that this conversation is going to go down in the annals of RRP history as one of the most impactful, if not the most impactful, most downloaded, most popular podcast that I've ever done. He was just amazing. And I really hope that you take his message to heart. I really hope that you extract from this conversation the tools and the resources and the inspiration to reframe your own life trajectory, to raise the bar on the goals that you're setting for yourself. And I really look forward to hearing from you guys throughout the year on how these goals are beginning to manifest in your life. So please reach out to me and let me know how the progress is going. As always, please make a point of checking out the show notes at richroll.com. I got tons of links and resources on the episode page to help take your infotainment on David and his work beyond the earbuds. As always, thank you so much to everybody for sharing the show with your friends and on social media and around the water cooler. If you haven't done so already, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. And while you're at it, click that subscribe button if you haven't done that yet uh, on iTunes or on whatever podcast app or platform you use to enjoy your podcast content. Uh, I want to thank Jason Camiello for his work on audio engineering and production on this podcast, Sean Patterson for his help on graphics, Chris Swan for additional production assistance, as well as a lot of help on the show notes and theme music, as always, by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. It's been a great 2016. I'm super excited for 2017. Again, I really hope that this episode helped kick you into a new gear in how you think and act and behave with respect to yourself and the goals that you set for yourself heading into the next 12 months. And I'll see you guys back here next week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.